We've got live football to talk about this week. Welcome back to the One Foot Down podcast. I am Eric Murtaugh. This is our 54th episode. With me again for the second strike week after our summer break is Phil, a.k.a. Young Curmudgeon. Phil, how you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. Uh, had an exam this morning, a little drugs, a little uh, heart disease, a little of that kind of stuff. But uh, we're all, as soon as I got out of the exam, I turned to uh, uh, to somebody and said, um, you know what? That's over. Now I can focus on the football. And let's, uh, so I'm ready to do that. Okay, before we get to a little talk about Texas, a little talk about some of the week one games, we want to talk about the captains that were named for Notre Dame a few days ago. Five of them in total, Jalen Smith, Joe Schmidt from the linebacking corps, both captains, first times for both of them. Nick Martin is a captain once again. Matthias Farley, also a captain. And Sheldon Day is a captain for the second straight year. Five in all, a lot of guys on defense. Uh, the only lone offensive player who's a captain is Nick Martin at center. Pretty interesting choice here. Brian Kelly did mention he thought there was about 10 guys that could have been captains. He wanted six or seven, but they ended up with five. Um, do you like the captains? Do you think it's too many? Uh, is it what, What's going on? Why weren't there more in offense? Um, well, that's a lot of questions right there, but uh... – well, I uh, I hope that uh, it's not a bad omen because I think the last time we had five captains was in 2007, which is a year that I think all Notre Dame football fans are you know try to pretend didn't exist. Um, so I'm hoping that's not a, a bad omen going forward. I was surprised that there were five captains, and I was surprised again there's so many from the defense. I'm but the thing the interesting thing though is that yeah there's so many guys from the defense, but there's nobody who's undeserving. Um, you know, Jalen Smith, obviously probably the best player on that side of the ball. Joe Schmidt, um, Matthias Farley, you know, everybody questions him as, you know, maybe a player, maybe he's not the most athletic, maybe he doesn't have the best skills for where he's at on the field, but everybody sort of, uh, has, seems to have a lot of respect for him around the program. Nick Martin, obviously, uh, carrying on, uh, the tradition at the O-line and Sheldon Day, who was a captain last year. Um, you know, I am surprised that there wasn't another, um, offensive player, whether, you know, be, I don't know, like Terry and Folston or uh, maybe even uh, Chris Brown or uh, Ronnie Stanley even, um, which I guess goes to be illustrate two things that one, your captains aren't necessarily always your best players. Now in some, and a lot of times those two things intersect, uh, but you know, it's not necessarily the best player. And, you know, it also really depends on who the, uh, you know, sort of the personality individual and how much we don't really maybe understand as fans and as outside observers, how those personalities interact. You know, you might say Terry and Folston is, you know, the sort of the key to that backfield and he's going to be the, the, you know, the carry leader and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, maybe he's just not a vocal guy and he's not the guy who's going to get everybody fired up. Same thing you might say for Ronnie Stanley is, you know, he is, you know, angling for a top five, top 10 pick in the in in this coming year's NFL draft but you know he might just be a quiet you know come to the office do the right thing do it all the time kind of guy and you know not to say he's a bad leader but he's not a fiery guy he's not going to get everybody amped up to run out onto the field and that's you know perfectly fine and I guess one last thing is that Jalen Smith you know everybody talked about Jalen Smith last year you know why was he not a captain you know he's still he was you know the best athlete on the field out there you know but I think it's sort of um 
this is illustrative of the point that, you know, sometimes you just got to let these things play out. You know, maybe he had to mature in that leadership role, in that vocal role. Um, and the coaches, you know, would give it to him when they saw fit. And, you know, that this is a process and this is a, there's a growth process involved here to get the captaincy. And, uh, you know, but apparently now he's satisfied whatever requirements they felt that uh, they wanted to see in him. I mean, the five five captains does seem like a lot. I kind of come from a sporting background where one captain is kind of the cool thing to do, I guess. I don't know. It seems more of an impact, kind of like Derek Jeter in baseball. Like, you know, the Yankees only have one captain, and they they don't even have a captain all the time. Um, same thing with hockey. There's one captain or soccer. There's always just one leader. So having five guys, I don't know. It's like if you're going to have more than one, I don't really care if you have – three, five, seven, but um, it doesn't really seem like there was a whole lot of really good candidates on offense. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, Stanley maybe kind of seemed like he could have gotten the nod, but he's more of a gentle giant. Only yeah. recently are we hearing about him being more vocal on the, the practice field and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's not that strange to me that there was four defenders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think we also saw a precedent from Brian Kelly is that, you know, even when Tommy Reese was a senior, he wasn't named the captain. When Ever Golson came in last year, he wasn't named a captain. And it seems like he seems a little hesitant to uh, place the responsibility of being a captain on the quarterback. Uh, see, I guess they suppose that he already has enough responsibility to deal with and enough to worry about. Um, and But I suppose going forward, the interesting thing is, Thing would, to look for would be Malik Zaire is probably going to be, God willing, a starter for multiple years. You know, once he's very comfortable and entrenched in that starter position in his last year or his penultimate year, does he take on that starting, uh, that captain's role towards the end as a quarterback? And we'll see how Brian Kelly plays that going forward. Yeah, that very well could happen. You know, I do like the, uh, the C's that they put on the jersey, the letter C, uh, a la hockey. Here's a, here's a little thing I think they could do. Why not put a shamrock on the jersey with a C inside? Make it a little bit different. Yeah, I, I mean that's a great idea. I think it I think it'd be something really, uh, you know, something that's really identifiable as Notre Dame. Um, I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, or you know, work the monogram into it or something. Any anything you would do to make it, you know, more identifiable. Just so long as the only the only time I never like the C on a uniform is in baseball. Um, they had it because I remember back in the day when I was I was younger and it was the Yankees and the Red Sox around 2004, 2003, all those time. I forget who the captain on the Red Sox was. Maybe it was Kevin Millar. Was it Veritek? Veritek. It was Veritek. Jason Veritek. Yeah. I always got those two confused. But as a Yankees <laughs> fan, you know they're all the same to me. But you know Jason Veritek would always wear the C on his jersey, and I'm like that is so dumb in in, in, in baseball. In some sports it works, in some some sports it doesn't, and probably because it was the Red Sox too. I thought it was even more so, but you know, I think it needs to be a little more innovative in, uh, in for Notre Dame football. And I agree with you. I think the shamrock or some other sort of design with the C would be, uh, would be fitting. Yeah. I'm looking at a picture of Veritech right now. Um, it always bothers me that Notre Dame wears it on their right chest where traditionally, at least in my opinion, it should go on the left chest. I don't know why they do that, but, um, yeah, I would definitely like to see something a little bit more uh, tailored to Notre Dame, not uh-huh. just a just a regular white C or whatever they put on there. Uh-huh. Um, 
who knows, maybe they could do something like the NFL where, you know, if you're a multi-year captain, you get like, you, know, you could do like the plain C and then have like two shamrocks around it for two years. You know, the NFL does the gold stars. Are they still doing that? Um, last time I've checked, they, they, they're still doing that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess to the point of view is if a guy's been a captain for, you know, 10 years, all he's got is the same four stars and a gold C. So I guess at that point it really doesn't matter, but yeah, some of uh, those guys are filling it up. Yeah. All right. So the captains are going to lead the team on the field this Saturday. Uh, as we're taping this, we are about six full days away, I guess. With, I think the seven thirty, I guess at night is when the game starts. Yes. We have a, a night game to start the season, which is going to be pretty, uh, pretty crazy, ner- pretty nerve-wracking, nerve-wracking. I think of a Saturday. I know I, I, I want to watch football all day, but it might be actually better to get out of the house and maybe go golfing or do something. Um, <laughs> what, what, what are your plans for Saturday? Are you going to be all football all day? Or are you going to be doing uh, something in the morning? Uh, well, as I, uh, as I said to you before we start, I have to teach, I have to teach, uh, two, uh, review classes, uh, or facilitate two review classes for, uh, younger students, uh, at school here in the morning. Uh, I'll probably have to do some studying at some point during the day, but probably somewhere around five, five thirty, I'm going to put it all away and just, uh, get into the spirit of things, uh, and, uh, you know, sort of reach that fever pitch before we start uh start the season off all right um i'm just going to do a quick rundown of the texas offense and then we'll talk a little bit about that and then the defense as well consider this kind of like a podcast preview of my thursday preview i'm about a third of the way done uh through with my preview of the longhorns we've got some uh a q a uh, with a, the main writer from Burnt Orange Nation going on the site tomorrow morning that people can read. So the Texas offense kind of still in a little bit of a transition. They're probably going to play two quarterbacks on Saturday. Tyrone Swoops is a junior quarterback. He played last year after David Ash went out with a concussion early in the season. He's a big quarterback. He can run. Um, he's got a good arm, but he's not really a good passer. He has some pretty dismal passing games last year. He's kind of the QB one right now. They expect Jared Hurd, the redshirt freshman, to play anywhere from a little bit to quite a bit. It's not really sure. No one knows how much he'll play. He was a dynamic recruit coming out of Texas, uh, two-time All-State player. Uh, I think they won the state championship for a ball his last two years, ran for over 2,000 yards each of his last two seasons. Um, kind of the perfect spread quarterback, good arm. Really good runner, so that's going to be something to watch, kind of how Texas uses both of those players and how we've kind of adjust to that. I can see Hurd coming in and being kind of a spark plug, kind of the way um, the Oklahoma quarterback, whose name escapes me, came in. Blake Bell? Um, yeah, but Blake Bell, was, wasn't he starting that game? And then oh, um, you, just so got, you're, talking, you're talking from 2013 then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no, I don't remember then. I remember I forgot his name. Yeah, he just got passed up this this past offseason, which is crazy. He dominated Alabama, and then a year later he's getting passed up by a walk-on. So that's college football for you. Uh, at running back, it's going to be probably a heavy dose of Jonathan Gray. He was an all-world five-star recruit. He's been kind of a 
in recruiting terms. He's been a four-star player for Texas. He's had a nice career, but hasn't really exploded onto the scene. Not a whole lot of weapons at receiver for Texas. Um, they've got a couple Johnsons, Marcus Johnson and Dajay Johnson. Um, you know, they just don't really have – I mean, there's some experience there, but just not a whole lot of production due to the passing offense not being that great last year. They do have a true freshman, John Burt, who's kind of pushing for starter minutes, which kind of goes to to the point that maybe their receiver core isn't all that strong. Tight end's kind of a mess. They've moved some guys around. Um, Caleb Blewett was originally a tight end and then a defensive end and then a tight end and then defensive end. Now they've moved him back to de- uh, tight end. He's still recovering from an ACL injury in January. I think he'll be good to go. They got a fullback that moved back to tight end. Um, and then they have Andrew Beck, who's a true sophomore, who's probably going to be the starter. And then they also moved another wide receiver to tight end. So not a whole lot of scariness going on there. They also had a tight end, Devin Eric Clarington, who we offered. He didn't qualify, true freshman. So he won't be around this year. He might have helped. Offensive line is pretty uh, – pretty, uh, Interesting for Texas. They do have four starters coming back. It looks like Mark, Marcus Hutchins won't be one of those starters. He's a fifth-year senior. He was he started 13 games at left tackle. They're looking to put in a true freshman at left tackle, it looks like. Um, and then Cedric Flowers is a returning starter, fifth-year senior at left guard. Taylor Doyle also a returning starter at center, fifth-year senior. Kent Perkins probably going to be moving from right tackle from right guard to right tackle, and they're looking to start another true freshman um, at right guard. That's not really set in stone yet. We'll probably see some shuffling around, but I guess the moral of the story there for Texas is they're going to be starting two true freshmen in Notre Dame Stadium to start the season, which isn't really a good thing. They're kind of more known for being better run blockers than pass blockers and, um, you know, talking with Westcott for our Q&A for tomorrow. He is not very um, positive about their ability to pick up the Van Gorder blitzes and all the crazy things that we'll throw at them. So, you know, I think my, my whole thing with Texas is if we see some good quarterback play from swoops or heard that they'll be kind of dangerous, but this is a, an offense that Notre Dame should, and I should say, I stress should um, do really well against, especially uh, with their blitzes and all that stuff. I, I think kind of after Saturday, we could be talking about how, you know, oh my God, we got four sacks and, you know, eight tackles for loss. And that could be the the narrative coming out of the game uh, against this type of an offense. What do you, what do you think about Texas and their offense, Phil? Well, it's, I guess it's in a lot of flux, you know, it's, I'm not, and that's the thing that you still, I guess I want to focus on is what you talked about is that, oh, the narrative coming out of this game is first of all, I really want what I want to see is Notre Dame take care of business. I mean, we're going to get to the other side of the ball. You know, I want to see. I'm not, I'm not saying I want to see a blowout, but well, I do want to see a blowout. But we need to if if there is if we're playing a team that's starting two true freshmen on the offensive line, that you know their wide receiver core is shaky at best. Tight end is not a threat. You have a fairly athletic quarterback, but can't you know doesn't have anybody to give the ball to um i want to see notre dame come and take care of business 
I don't want to see, uh, you know, sort of continuation of what we saw at the end of last year, sort of Northwestern uh, Louisville, you know, where we let a team sort of hang around, hang around, hang around. All of a sudden, you know, we're, you know, five minutes into the fourth quarter and we got a game on our hands or five minutes left in the fourth quarter, excuse me. And we got a game on our hands. I want to see Notre Dame's defense flying all over the place, uh, making plays, making tackles for loss. Um, but I also don't want to come out of Texas at the same time um, thinking that we're world beaters. I think the team should think that all the time, but I don't think we should look at this game from a defensive point of view and say, oh, our defense is going to be okay for the, rest of the, for the rest of the year. We're all set there because I think that there's a lot of things that uh, Texas is deficient at uh, just from a recruiting point of view because you've already mentioned they've lost a lot of people. Um, and that's sort of the, the reality in uh, at Texas right now at UT because uh, with the resurgence of uh, or, or the emergence, I should say, of Baylor, of TCU, of Texas A&M going to the uh, the SEC and always Texas Tech sort of being there too, is they don't rule the roost anymore from a recruits point of view in the state of Texas. You know, they probably still are out in front a little bit, but, you know, they're not getting the same sort of depth and quality of recruiting that they're accustomed to. I'm hope- and I think they're hoping Charlie Strong can change that. But I think because we're going to see so much new, so many new faces um, on their offense that our defense better take care of business. And I want to see guys like Devin Butler, Cole Luke, and Kavari Russell, you know, locking these guys down so that we can focus on the one viable part of their offense, which is the run, and really shut that down. Yeah, I think the two big things in this game, I'm pretty sure they're going to rely on their, their quick passing game. I mean, that kind of, that's how I envisioned Texas the past like six, seven years. I don't think they're really going to make swoops or even herd, try to throw the ball downfield. So I think the big thing that they'll stress in this game is going to be how we get off blocks and tackle. It's going to be a lot of short passes. We're going to have to tackle guys in open field. And the other thing would be just containing both of the quarterbacks. I, I think, um, I think it was at the temple game a couple of years ago where you know, they had a pretty athletic quarterback, and he would drop back to pass, and no one was open, and he kept scampering for like eight yards and, and 12 yards. I think that's the one thing that kind of makes me afraid of Texas in this game is that both of their quarterbacks have that athletic ability to drop back and not see anything and kind of get something out of nothing. So I hope that they can contain both of the quarterbacks, and I'm interested to see, you know, maybe that's not something that, Van Gorder really excels at, you know, third and eight would probably bring in the house. And I hope that we don't see too many um, snaps on third down where swoops is, you know, running right up the middle because all the blitzers are around him and he picks up big first downs and can, and it takes, you know, some of the drives a little bit further than they should. And, you know, we got to march down the field 80 yards instead of 50 yards. So I think that's the one thing I'm worried about, but yeah, overall, I don't think they're, I mean, I think people kind of know I tend to maybe overrate our opponents in our previews. I try to look at, you know, how we could lose and see the the negative side of stuff like that. But there's really not a whole lot of good things right now in the Texas offense. And I think based on what you just said, you know, sort of, and I agree with you. I remember exactly what you're talking about in that Temple game. Um, We're going to see Jerry Tillery right in the middle of that defense because um, as you're saying, you know, it's, as the blitzers sort of envelope around, you know, and try and get to the quarterback, and, you know, he's just going to run up the middle when you have the, that open field that Notre Dame loves to leave uh, mobile quarterbacks. We're going to see if Jerry Tillery can sort of hold that 
hold down the middle of that line and make an impact there and force people outside or make the tackle. So we're going to see very early on uh, sort of what we got there in the in the young freshman. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised. I, I know most of the time we don't really like having a guy kind of just stay in the quarterback, but I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen kind of shadows one of the quarterbacks early on and make sure that, you know, there's not a lot of QB draws and stuff like that. I'm imagining Texas will probably run their quarterback quite a bit, especially if Hurd comes in. So that's probably something else to look out. Let's look at the defense. Um, their strength is going to be up up front on their defensive line. Um, I don't know. That might worry some folks. Um, they've got a couple good players up there. Um, Nashawn Hughes started seven games last year. He'll be at the weak side defensive end. Hassan Ridgeway is going to start in the middle at defensive tackle. They've got a couple other guys who have started a little bit over their careers, although haven't really been full-time starters. Um, Shiro Davis started four games last year. He's looking to start at strong side defensive end. Um, Desmond Jackson, was a he's a fifth-year senior. He got injured early last year. Same injury as Jaron Jones. He's back. He was a big-time recruit. Um, but, you know, there's not a whole lot of really proven guys outside of that. You're going to see a lot of younger guys in the line, and they've recruited decently on defensive line. You know, some Texas fans think they're going 12, 13 bodies deep here, but I think they're probably saying that because this is the one positional unit where they actually have some promise, especially this season. Uh, Linebackers, they lost Jordan Hicks. I'm sure most college football fans know about him. He started all 13 games last year. He was a big NFL draft pick. They also lost Steve Edmond at middle linebacker. So, and they usually play just two linebackers. Uh, um, they're usually nickel and dime packages most of the time. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of match up against some of our heavier sets um, and bring in three linebackers. Uh, the big story at linebacker is really Malik Jefferson, kind of a Jalen Smith type of recruit, kind of same measurables, uh, same, time of, same type of athleticism. Uh, we kind of figured he would play even in this first game against Notre Dame uh, as the latest news is he's a starter at middle linebacker and they're moving uh, Peter Jenkins uh, back to weak side. He was kind of a strong side linebacker that didn't play a whole lot because they're in nickel so much, but so it'll probably be those two players. They also also have Dalton Santos, um, a senior. He he's recovering from an ankle injury. He'll probably play a lot if he's healthy. So, you know, Obviously, they're playing a true freshman at linebacker. That could be uh, something that Notre Dame could pick on, even though Jefferson is pretty athletic, and that's an understatement. Uh, Their secondary welcomes back three starters. Um, I don't think Texas fans are all that excited about these guys. I know they do have uh, Duke Thomas, a corner, started every game last year. They have Bryson Eccles, a redshirt junior corner. He played a lot last year with one start. But they do have two freshmen, Holton Hill, Notre Dame offered him, and Chris Boyd, who are pushing for starting minutes. So I kind of that's kind of showing you how not sure they are about things in the secondary. And then they have a couple of safeties who have played a good deal of ball. Um, you know, I was talking to Westcott from Burnt Art Nation, and I asked him, you know, should we be worried about this Texas defense having an entire offseason to prepare for Notre Dame? And he said, yeah, you should be, but they're not really expecting this defense to be all that strong. Just too many young players having to play straight out of the gate in this Notre Dame game. So I would probably think Notre Dame should have a fair amount of success against this defense. Um, 
but we'll see. What do you think about Texas on defense? They weren't they were good at times last year, but they also had their down moments. Um, yes, yeah, so I do agree that they were good at times last year. Um, they did get blown out a few times, but if, I mean, outside of being blown out by BYU, forty-one to seven, you know they kind of lost the teams that you would expect them to lose to. They lost to Baylor, twenty-eight to seven. You know, lost to Oklahoma, but they only, you know, they gave up thirty, thirty-one twenty-six. I mean, the one thing that stands out is they gave up forty-five points to the Iowa State Cyclones, which is never something you want to see. They lost to Kansas State, twenty-three nothing. Then they lost to uh, TCU, forty-eight to ten, and then they got sort of handled in the uh, you know run over by Arkansas in the bowl game, thirty-one-seven. So you know they lost to good teams. I mean, admittedly, they also got sort of stopped by some good teams, but um, I think Notre Dame uh, matches up well against them. Uh, I think sort of the keys to this is that first of all, their strength is their defensive line and our strength on offense is uh, most definitely our offensive line. Um, so it's strength versus strength there. And I think Notre Dame's offensive line is just going to be too much uh, for them. I think what we're going to really need to look to see is that how Malik de- developed as a passer, cause they might sell out and try and take the runaway, um, you know, and if they're starting, I think, like you said, two safety, two freshmen at safeties in, in the backfield and uh, in the in defensive backfield. Um, let's see how much Malik has developed as a passer. Let's open it up, let him, you know, sort of throw the ball around a little bit. As much as I want to see him run the ball effectively, and I'm sure, but we know he can do that. I want to see if he's really made that progress um, in the in the pass game, not just on you know arm strength, but also you know sort of touch passes and you know uh, sort of the more finer points of being a quarterback. The other thing I think that we could probably utilize against this defense, because as you mentioned, it's so young, is a good amount of tempo. Even if we don't execute the tempo perfectly as we would against a better defense, I think probably the best way to just deal with the younger team is either to run over them or um, uh, hit some tempo and, and get them out of position, and then you know take advantage of that. And you know, obviously, the other option is that if they try to make you one-dimensional, if they try and you know stack the box, then just pass on them. You know, you have a great receiver core, and uh, you know their secondary doesn't really seem to be a good strength. And I think as much as we want to see the Notre Dame run the ball more, we do need to make sure that we're being uh, sort of uh, strategic about it, and we're exploiting the weaknesses of our opponents. Um, and then finally, I'll just mention what I said uh, last week on the podcast is that I think our red zone defense, our red zone offense is going to be so much improved um, that I think that we're going to just be able to line up, you know, maybe put Chase Hounshell on the line, put Tyler Lewitua out there with our offensive line and just, you know, between Malik and Tarion and, you know, CJ, if he's out there um, and just, you know, punch it in and get those seven points instead of the threes all the time. Okay, I'll wait to give my prediction for Thursday. Um, this line opened up in the spring. Notre Dame was favored somewhere in the 12-and-a-half, all the way up to like 14-and-a-half region. It's fallen now to about 9-and-a-half. That's where it's sitting uh, for the past couple of months. Just your gut instinct on Saturday. Do you think Notre Dame covers that spread? I'm assuming you hope Notre Dame wins the game, obviously. Yes, of course. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I would say, um, yeah, I would think Notre Dame should cover a nine and a half spread. Um, I think we probably will win by minimum two touchdowns. Um, that's sort of what I'm envisioning. But I think um, 
because because nine and a half is just a touchdown and a, and a field goal. I think we'll, we'll, we should most I'd say most likely cover that spread. Okay. The only thing I'll say on this is, you know, I was kind of looking at the history, and we don't have a very good history of covering a spread that large against a Power Five team, and the opener. You know, being in a home home opener kind of scares me. But lately, the more I look at it, I'm kind of thinking that Notre Dame will cover that. So you'll just have to see on Thursday which way I go for that and the yeah. big. All right, we're going to move on to the rest of college football. Um, week one begins this Thursday, and things are going to get kicked off on Thursday, nice and early at six o'clock. Um, a game I'm probably going to be able to watch all of it. Hopefully, as long as it's not too late, working long hours in the summer that I do. Um, Six o'clock, ESPN, a border war, North Carolina, South Carolina. Probably one of the few games we'll talk about here on the podcast today that isn't between ranked teams. Sandstorm in the house. We're going to get North Carolina at South Carolina. The Tar Heels are the road favorite by a few points. Um, Anything to say about this game? I know North Carolina is kind of on the hot seat. In, in multiple ways, both, I guess, NCAA-wise and with their coach and everything. And South Carolina is kind of looking to rebound after getting uh, just embarrassed last year in this time slot. So uh, is this a game that you're going to watch, or will you wait until maybe Friday? No, I'll watch it. I'll definitely watch it. I I, I mean, heck, I watched uh, some of Memphis and North Dakota State, I think, yesterday. So, you know, I, I, it's, I want to start watching college football already, so I'll watch it. Um, I, I'm going to take North Carolina on this one. I, I don't think South Carolina – I mean, they did get embarrassed last year. I mean, they did not have a good year last year. I, I don't think that uh, uh, Spurrier, as much as I find him uh, entertaining, has really got it anymore as a, as a head coach. I, I don't think he's, he's going to – he's going to be the answer any for a significant, any longer period of time at South Carolina. And I think North Carolina is just uh, do the tempo that they did to us. And I think that, I think they're going to walk out with a win. All right. Later in the night, Michigan is at Utah, the debut of Jim Harbaugh, Utah, pretty, pretty decent favorite five and a half, six points, five and a half to six points thereabouts. I like Utah a lot in this game. I, I think Michigan would, whatever quarterback they're going with is going to be a, have a really hard time running the ball, doing everything on offense. I think they're going to be a mess. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think that um, Jim Harbaugh is going to, uh, you know, as talented as he is, I don't think he's going to come in and make an immediate impact to beat this Utah team. I, I, also, if you look at his recruiting class thus far, I think he's – well, I guess they haven't actually even signed that recruiting class, but he's you know been filling up on two stars and all that sort of stuff, and I guess trying to do his whole diamond in the rough, uh, develop these guys you know out of sheer force of will uh, that he sort of sometimes did at Stanford. But I, I just don't see you know his return making that much of an impact uh, in this particular game. So at the kind of the same time, kicking off a half hour later on ESPN. The Michigan game is going to be on Fox Sports 1. On ESPN, TCU at Minnesota, um, kind of like a really, 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 really big underdog, possibly upset special there? Uh, in terms of final score, in terms of uh, covering the spread? 
Oh, Justin, I think maybe just beating TCU. I don't know. I know TCU not, did pretty well last year against them. Yeah, I'm not buying a, 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 a an upset by Minnesota. I think TCU. I think they're they're still probably a little upset from being left out of the, uh, the uh, 14, yeah. 14 equation. I think they're coming out and going to pick up right where they left off and make a statement and saying, you know, we're not going to leave any doubt in your mind this time around. You know, we're going to. I think that they'll. I. I I'd even probably think that they might cover that spread because I'm looking 14 and a half, 16. They, they they might cover that. Yeah, I would probably. Pick, I mean, just looking at it now, I would say they they're going to cover. Their offense is too good. Yeah. Okay, Friday, um, seven o'clock, ESPNU, Michigan State, Western Michigan. PJ Fleck got the Broncos going in a pretty good direction. Um, think there could be an upset there i mean that would be pretty amazing uh yeah i mean what is michigan state right now they're like four or five or something fifth uh, i think in the ap yeah i mean i don't i, I mean do i think i western michigan will probably cover 23 and a half <laughs> but uh i you know this you know there's a reason why you know they play these games and they're tune up games and you're not going to lose them I mean, you could tell Michigan that with Appalachian State, but, uh, you know, know, that's going to be the game where it's the middle of the second quarter and Michigan State's up 10 to 7, and we're like, oh my God, Western Michigan's going to do it, and then they'll win like 45 to 10. Well, yeah, and I agree with you. That happens to me all the time. I see watching SEC games, you know, and, you know, you're watching. uh, you know, some Louisiana State College take on Alabama or something, and then it's like, oh, they're only down 14-6 or something. Oh, they might actually do this and this, you know, and then, you know, you check back in on the game and, like you said, it's like 50-6. to six. They didn't score again, you know, and I, and you're always hoping. There's always that hope. Yeah. Friday night, kind of a, a pretty big game, I guess, at 10-15. Uh, Chris Peterson makes his return to Boise State. Broncos are favored big time in this game, which kind of probably says more about Washington. Um, unfortunately, uh, Boise State's favored about 11 points in this game. Probably not much hope for the Huskies in this one, huh? No, and this is at Boise State, right? Yeah, this is on the blue turf. So Peterson going home, yeah, it's probably going to be tough. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I think they're 11 and a half. I, I'd probably take that for Boise State. I, I haven't heard any, you know, any earth-shattering things about Washington being really a force in the Pac-12 this year. All right, that wraps it up for Friday. So Saturday, obviously, all the games packed in there for the most part. Um, got a pretty good uh, game against Louisville and Auburn. I kind of was looking at this game earlier today when I was looking at some of the SEC stuff, finishing up my preview for that conference, and I kind of feel like, you know, we're not talking about Louisville enough. Um, I know there's a lot to talk about Auburn, and obviously they're one of the favorites this year both in the SEC and nationally, but Auburn's favored by 10.5 in this game. I probably would lean towards Louisville covering that one. I don't know why they're such um, a heavy favorite. Well, I think there's a couple of things um, in play here. Uh, first of all, I think Auburn is probably a little overinflated um, than they should be. I think Auburn is still riding out uh, that 2013 national championship appearance because if you think about it, they didn't really – I mean, they weren't bad last year, and they were they were good. They were a solid team, uh, but you know, I don't 
think they warranted the hype that they have right now. The other half of that coin is that Louisville, if you remember watching the NFL draft last year, I mean, it seems like one Louisville guy was getting picked after another. Um, so I think that they have had a decent amount of nutrition, and I can't say that I really am familiar with the depth that they have over there at Louisville. Um, but I think those are the two things that are sort of pushing that line up a little bit. Um you know, with that being said, if Louisville is, was able to develop the talent that they had and assuming that they, you know, can bring guys up and they have depth, I think they cover. I, I, I don't, I'm not buying into Auburn quite yet. Yeah, I think that's a smart underdog pick right there, especially uh, when you look at the spread. Now, our week two opponent has to travel all the way across the country. This is good news for us. They're going to play at UCLA on Fox 330. That's Virginia. Um Kind of a heavy underdog there. Almost eh, 16 and a half, 17, a po- 17 points at most places. UCLA is favored with their true freshman quarterback. Virginia not really expected to do a whole lot this year. Do you think the Bruins kind of roll in that game? Yeah, especially that game being at home. Yeah, it's a true freshman quarterback, but UCLA has a lot of weapons. They have a good defense. Um I think that Virginia is not going to be able to gain a lot of traction, especially like you said, having to go all the way out there to California um, in LA. Yeah. I don't, I don't see it. I don't, I, 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 I'm not, I'm always a little hesitant about a spread that big 17, but uh, it's close. UCLA probably just rolls over them because I just, it's not, not because UCLA is going to put up a lot of numbers. I think just Virginia is not going to be able to move the ball at all. So I think there's another sneaky good game at 3.30 here as my page just refreshed on me for no reason. Um, BYU and Nebraska, it's a really good game at 3.30. Nebraska, new coach, uh, Mike Riley, favored by about six points in that game. Uh, that's probably something I'm going to want to tune into. Yeah, I might throw that one on. Um, you know, I sort of always kind of keep an eye on BYU, uh, you know, as our – I guess they're not independent anymore, right? They're, they're in a conference on BYU, so they're not even our fellow independent anymore. Uh, and I always sort of like Nebraska. I like the idea of Nebraska football. You know, it's just sort of this heartland of America. We're going to run and we're going to run the I formation and we're going to, you know, run the ball and everything is going to be good in the world. But, you know, they haven't been good recently. So uh, uh, that those hopes have been a little dashed. But um, I'll probably turn that game. So, uh uh, I, I probably would. I don't think I'd take the seven and a half, though. I, I think BYU makes this a closer game than uh, than uh, what's being predicted. Um, Bowling Green visits Tennessee. Bowling Green, one of the favorites in the MAC, possibly an upset special there. Not really sure how legit it is, but that's probably something somebody could make a lot of money on. Yeah, I would agree because I don't think that uh, Tennessee is going to cover. I'm looking at twenty and a half and seventeen in some places. I don't think. Tennessee is covering that spread. I think Tennessee being ranked is questionable at best. I don't really see them as a top 25 team. I think that they're always been around and I think that they're always been sort of just outside the top 25, but I don't think they showed anything last year that uh, indicated that, you know, they're moving up in terms of either the sec or national rankings and Bowling green being sort of one of these uh, sleeper uh, sort of lower tier schools or lower tier teams, I should say. Um, you know, they might. I, I think they'll definitely cover. I think the. I think Bowling Green will uh, cover the spread, and 
I think, um, you know, they might have a chance for an upset, but we'll see. So another one of the kind of sneaky good um, openers, I guess, neutral site games, whatever you want to call it, Arizona State, 15th team in the country. Texas A&M is favored in this game by three points. That sounds like I would take the Sun Devils all day with that. You betcha. I, w- I would uh, roll with Sparty on that one. No, not Sparty. What the heck am I talking about? Sparky. 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 You were close. I know. So, uh, too, too many years playing Michigan State. Sparty rolls off the tongue easy. Uh, uh, yeah, I would go with Arizona State definitely. I think Texas A&M, Texas A&M, I think, came out real strong last year against, you know, South Carolina. Everybody thought that they were going places. And then, you know, I think they lost big to Arkansas and, you know, they sort of, you know, collapsed and I'm not buying the Texas A&M stock right now. I'm going to stick with Arizona state. Another big neutral site game, Wisconsin and Alabama. Uh, I was reading a couple things here and there about the Badgers winning this game outright. Bama's favored by 10 points right now. Don't really know what's going on with their quarterback situation with a week to go. Does that seem about right to you? I know Wisconsin's kind of retooling a little bit on offense, but you know Paul Christ is there, and they'll probably know their know what they're going to do on offense. While Alabama might have a slow start or something like that, but I don't know. Ten points seems fair to me, I guess. Uh, ten points does seem fair. I think uh, Wisconsin has a definitely a good chance to cover that. Um, I don't know if um, I don't know really about their chances to win it outright. Um, I think, like you said, if Alabama gets to a slow start, you know, if Wisconsin can play the, you know, the time of possession game and, you know, uh, run the ball effectively and sort of play keep away, you know, they might be able to get something against Alabama, who I believe is, um, you know, they're also retooling a little bit on offense, but retooling on offense on Alabama means a whole different thing from retooling an offense in pretty much any college. Um, so, and, you know, Wisconsin having lost Melvin Gordon to the draft and all that sort of stuff, I, I, I don't see them winning it outright, but I, I think they have the possibility of covering those 10 points. All right, the last big game of the week, we have to wait until Monday night on ESPN 8 o'clock, defending national champions, the Ohio State University Buckeyes are going into Blacksburg to face Virginia Tech. Um, we know about the suspensions for Ohio State. Still don't know who's playing quarterback, although it looks like it's going to be JT Barrett very likely. He was named a captain. Um, I don't see how he's not the starter if that was the case. Iowa State favored about 11.5, 12 points, thereabouts. I know a lot of people are kind of smelling an upset here. That's a really interesting game. Um, I imagine this is going to get some major, major ratings on Monday night. Yeah, I, I think – I don't like the, the Monday night game personally. I don't – I don't know. There's something about playing college football Monday night that just it doesn't sit well with me. But yeah, I think you're right. It will. I mean, I'm going to watch it. We'll get rate. It'll get ratings. So I, I don't know if I'm part of the problem there. But um, I think for the same reason that TCU is going to come out and stomp Minnesota because they have a statement to make about last year. I think everybody's kind of talking about this game that oh Virginia Tech beat them last year. They're going to come and beat them again, and they're going to be the stumbling block for Ohio State. And I think Ohio State saying we're the defending national champions. We're going to come in and shut everybody up um, on this particular meme that's going around the, uh, the sports commentary at this point. So I think uh, I think they probably cover that spread against Virginia Tech. I don't think Virginia Tech is um, has shown any signs that they're going to you know be significantly improved from last year, and that they're going to be able to uh, 
uh, really uh, put up a, a, a meaningful fight against uh, the Buckeyes. So a couple other games here just to mention a, a few things. Texas State is at Florida State at 8 o'clock on Saturday night, so that will be going on during the Notre Dame game. So if Everett Golson wins the starting job, we'll kind of probably keep an eye on how well he's doing. Who are they playing? Texas State? Texas State. Yeah, I don't, I don't you know. That's, that's their schedule so easy. In the <laughs> beginning, so. Wow, Texas State. Um, also, at the same time, Oregon hosting Eastern Washington. The new Oregon quarterback was the Eastern Washington quarterback last year, so there's that storyline to go to go That's for. Interesting. Yeah, I might, I might even uh, check that out just just for that, or at least read about it later. Because that that man, that that's that's got a sting for the for the guys over there in Eastern Washington. Yeah, that's probably they're probably gonna be pretty pissed off about that. Uh, uh, McNeese State is at LSU, and I think was it last year or maybe two years ago they were really giving it to LSU or one of the SEC teams. That's a sneaky good uh, F. What it would be FCS team. Yeah, I think so. At least they were last year. Um, you know, there's a couple other pretty good games out there. I'm kind of scrolling through the list here. Uh, let's see. Oklahoma open Oakland opens up with Akron. No, I'm just kidding. That's not an interesting game at all. Um, yeah, there's a lot of – it seems like there's – we've seen an uptick in kind of like big neutral site games in this first week, but there's still plenty of uh, cupcakes abounding yeah. left and right. Uh, who is uh, Clemson playing this week? Um, trying to probably score. South Carolina State or something. I'm trying to – it's trying probably an to early game. Scroll through all these. Uh, they play. They play Wofford, uh, in-state, uh, tiny private school. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. that's probably it for kind of the interesting games. Um, is yeah. Colgate good at football? They're playing Navy. Uh, Colgate is a good school. It's a, it's a small liberal arts college. I think it's up in upstate New York, somewhere along the Hudson River, if I'm not mistaken. They're, oh, here. Yeah, yeah Colgate's, good. Colgate's good at hockey. I know that. Um, Stanford yeah. visits Northwestern. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Coming back east, maybe a little uh, upset special. No, North, Northwestern, I think, lost a ton of players. They're probably not going to be very good. Well, Even I'm though we gonna... have to. We have to I'm say we gonna, lost to them. So. I know. I'm not going to badmouth uh, Northwestern. It's bad enough that we had to lose to them. I'm not going to you know, start picking against them and being proved wrong. <laughs> all right. So that's, I guess that's all we have for uh, today's podcast. Looking forward to a lot of football. Anything else before we get out of here? No, I'm just so glad it's, uh, we, it's no more uh, commiserating. It's no more uh, – Ringing of hands. It's 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 finally here. It's real football. All right. We'll see everyone Saturday night at Notre Dame Stadium under the lights. Texas coming to town. No Bevo. Can't make it. Not enough room on the sidelines. Sorry. Giant animal. Just can't fit. You can thank <laughs> Newt Rockney for that and the way he designed the stadium. Uh, I'm Eric. That's Phil, a.k.a. Young Curmudgeon. And we will be back next weekend with a recap of hopefully Notre Dame's win over Texas.